But yes, it's localmaxradio at gmail.com. Um, I was going to call it Local Max Podcast, but Local Max Radio sounds so much better. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to the Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. All right. Hello again. Hello again. Welcome. Welcome to the... Uh, thanks for coming back. You know, this is... We're still at the very, very beginning of this podcast, and... Uh, some of you were here the first time, and so now you're coming back again for episode one. That's weird. This is the first time, and now it's episode one. That's because I started at zero, but I think that'll only be weird for this first episode. So I'm a little bit, uh, this is episode one. I'm a little bit, a little bit tired right now. I'm just coming back uh, from a weekend in Havana, Cuba, which was actually a really fascinating experience, so maybe we'll get to talk about that at some point. Um, I got a really nice response from episode zero, but it's still a tiny, tiny, tiny audience. I'm talking about like single digits here. Um, maybe, maybe we jumped into double digits. I'm not sure, but it's it's somewhere around there. I want to be very careful about sending this out on the social channels right now until I have a few more episodes. But once I have a few more episodes, I'll start being a little more aggressive there with uh, with my marketing. And, uh, and then people will come back and, and see these episodes, and we'll be referring back to them later. Uh, so what are we talking about today? So today I want to share the back half of my conversation with Aaron about Bayesian probability. He asked me how I use Bayesian probability in everyday life, and I know I use judgments. I use it to make judgments in my day-to-day life all the time, but I feel like the exa- I jumped into the example of how I use it to uh, interpret the news, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. I feel like the example should be something more along the lines of everyday decision-making, like how do I decide what route to take, or how do I decide you know, uh, which job I should take based on new information coming in. Uh, that's the thing with Bayesian probability. It always has to be based on, you know, uh, how I adjust my thinking with new information coming in. So if you have a specific example along those lines, I definitely like to hear it because I feel like there are lots of examples out there, but I'm racking my brain trying to think of one. So if you have one, please send me an email uh, at localmaxradio at gmail.com. Okay. So instead of that, we got into using Bayes' rule to interpret the news. And this conversation took place a few weeks ago during the Hawaii missile scare. So if you don't remember, there was uh, a, a message was sent out by the government of Hawaii to all of the residents saying that an ICBM missile was headed their way, and then it turned out to be, um, to be a mistake. So we talked a lot about that, and we talked about the, we did a Bayesian analysis of that, and Let's have a listen right now. I'm going to add some more details at the end, but here it is right now. Oftentimes when I'm interpreting the news, because uh, a lot of what's on the news, you don't know whether it's true or not, I, uh, I think is a Bayesian. And so it often gives you a different aspect of the problem than you are otherwise thinking. So today, actually today was a pretty good example. Today, uh, this morning, there was a... Uh, a message sent out, an emergency message sent out in Hawaii saying, I, I believe it was saying that there was an 
intercontinental ballistic missile headed to Hawaii. And then 30 minutes later, it turned out it was a mistake, right? And so the question is, if you get that um, alert on your phone, what is your belief in terms of there being an intercontinental ballistic missile uh, headed to your state? Um, well, presumably this morning, that uh, expectation was much higher than it is tonight. Right. People have adjusted their priors down, given that uh, not only is there the possibility of a false alarm, but they have, in fact, experienced one. Right, right, right. And now, I'm not recommending that people ignore all warnings and alerts that go out. Obviously, if an alert or warning goes out, you know, you should take the proper precautions. But you don't always need to panic. Um, I think when it comes to these, well, first of all, what is the prior, what is the likelihood that there is going to be uh, an intercontinental ballistic missile hitting your state? I would think it's pretty low because I don't believe, have any of those actually been used in, um, in warfare before? I don't, I mean, the, <laughs> I don't, I don't believe they have. I, I don't believe so. Right, right. And, and certainly if we're residing on the East Coast, our priors are going to be significantly lower for right. that than someone in. And there's no, I mean, yes, there have been some international tensions, but there's no, there's no reason to believe. I believe the prior should be pretty low. And so you get that prior. Now the question is, so let's say the, the prior on any given day is going to be, ooh, I think it would be pretty low, right? It could be one out of, a, one out of 10 million or something. Um, well, so are we saying, the, the, is the prior based on, I walk up to you on the street at any given moment and say there's an incoming ballistic missile, right. or is it based on, I have received an alert? No, no, no. The, the prior is before you've received an alert. The alert is the data. Okay. Yeah, it, it, certainly, it is extremely low. Right, right. Now, here comes the interesting part. What is the probability that you receive the alert if the missile is on its way? I don't really know the answer to that, but we can say... Okay, let's say there's a 50-50 chance that they that they know about it. All right, could be higher than that. Um, but then the interesting part, and that's the part that is often not covered by the news. It probably is covered, uh, was covered today somewhat, but is not covered in quite this aspect. Is what's the probability of receiving the alert when there's no missile coming? And that is not zero. That is more than that, that's low, but it's not as low as the probability of having the missile itself. So when you multiply the numbers together, you're actually going to come out with a result that if you see an alert, it's more likely that it's a false alarm than a real alarm. And we've seen this in life too, right? How, how many times have you had a fire alarm where it was a false alarm uh, yeah. compared to a real fire? It's almost always a false alarm. Um, so probably an order, order of magnitude at least more false alarms than legitimate yeah. fire alarms. And I remember this happened, you know, in 2011, there was a uh, hurricane that hit New York, uh, Hurricane Irene. There were lots of warnings. People took it very seriously. Then it turned out to be a false alarm. It wasn't that bad. And then the next one came around, Sandy, in 2012. People took less seriously. Um, and it turned out they probably should have taken that one more seriously. But um, well, first of all, their, their prior went down, but I think what people should realize is that 
you know, when, when these warnings and alerts are sent out, they're sent out with a shroud of uncertainty to begin with. So we don't, if you get an alert like this, it means take precaution, but it doesn't mean that there's a 100% chance or even, uh, even a more than 50% chance that this event is going to occur. Um, so uh, another example that people give that, that is often counterintuitive is like, you know, a lot of times when you get tested for a disease, they start with the test that's not as accurate. And the disease is, is let, let's say the disease is like a very, very rare disease. Um, even if the test is 99% accurate, well, your prior of having that disease is much less than 1%. It's like, let's say it's like one out of 100,000 people have it. Well, if you test positive for the disease, it's more likely that the test gave the wrong answer than you actually have the disease. So what you do is you go in for a second test, but in all likelihood, you still don't have the disease. This is probably true in a lot of medical tests as well. Yeah, I know for, for a number of, of medical tests, and the, the first type, two types that come to mind are uh, prostate cancer for men and breast cancer for women, that they've revised the guidance on how frequently and at what ages you should get tested because of uh, the, the false positive rates and the fact that they were being um, I, I, I hesitate to say overreacted to, but that people were getting these these false positives and taking action based on those without perhaps following up with additional layers of testing. Yeah. Or yeah. Or, or simply even with the additional layers of testing, they weren't confident enough that given the uh, undesired outcome from the first, that the more reassuring outcome from the second was sufficient to counterbalance it. And yeah. so they've they've reduced the recommendations for how often and how early you should be tested for those to reduce unnecessary procedures. Hmm. And, and certainly that's controversial because inevitably people will slip through the net because of that. But yeah, I guess they're also weighing that against the potentially greater harm done uh, by unnecessary procedures. Right, right, or unnecessary panic. Um, Which I guess that's that's another thing that um, I, I know a lot of people who think they have every disease and it's like, <laughs> you know, it says right here that it's going to cause, you know, sneezing and, and, and drowsiness. And I have that right now. Am I going to die? Yeah, number one is never go to WebMD. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, the, the, the one thing that we didn't talk about with um, laying out your hypotheses and looking at your priors and, and yeah. the uh, likelihoods and then a, a, adjusting your posteriors is presumably you would also place a weight on the severity of the outcome to those posteriors. So um, in perhaps the, uh, the ballistic missile scenario, yes, there may be a very high likelihood that, that when you get that warning that it's a false alarm, uh, but what's the cost of going and waiting in your basement for 30 minutes compared to the cost of, if you're wrong, being outside on your front porch when the missile lands? Right, right, and a lot of people are saying and if there's a nuclear bomb, the it's not good. you're gonna be dead both ways. But, yeah. but if, if the answer is that one way you survive and the other you don't, then perhaps it's worth right. being wrong and losing 30 minutes of your day. Right, and not being right, and not being too angry when it when it doesn't uh, doesn't uh, doesn't pan out. And th th that's a good point. After you get the posteriors, you need to figure out how to take action. Um, yes, if it's a nuclear bomb right over your head, it's going to be uh, it's it's not going to help you. But I, I've got to believe there are probably some instances where. Uh, the weapon is not as powerful, or you're kind of in the in a zone where um, you're kind of in a in a marginal zone. You're far away from it, 
where seeking shelter would help. So might as well. I mean, it's not like those alerts go out every day. So the, the end story is people be safe, uh, but consider the statistics and the, uh, the, the Bayesian probabilities before you uh, take, take any actions, because they, they might help you uh, make a, a more, more wise choice. Yeah, yeah. Now, another thing that I like to, if we can move on, uh, another thing that I like to analyze through the Bayesian lens, maybe I'll get to, I mean, this is going to be very entertaining, I think, if we could get to do this uh, on the show, is uh, conspiracy theories are often a lot of fun to analyze from a Bayesian perspective. Um, so the one that came to mind from last week is, uh, well, it's, it's a sad story, but it's an unfortunate murder of, uh, you know, Seth Rich, who was a DNC, um, who, who was a, someone who worked for the DNC. At, right, it was, it was around, a, a staffer. Right, a staffer at the time of, around the time of the uh, WikiLeaks um, release of the DNC information. And, you know, he was found dead somewhere in Washington, D.C., uh, in the middle of the night, um, nothing stolen from him. But, um, you know, it was ruled a, a robbery gone wrong. And so there are people who are saying, well, maybe he was the, um, maybe he was the leaker and this was somebody trying to get him for whatever reason. So there's a couple things that are interesting about you know, analyzing this one, um, you know, first of all is, and, and sort of Bayes' rule as a framework makes you consider things that the people on the news are not considering. And so the, the, the one thing that I would consider is what are the priors of those two events? What's the prior that there is a political conspiracy to assassinate someone? That's very interesting. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to know who the assassin was. Maybe you would break out those hypotheses too. Um, it could be a, a number of different groups, but the other side of the, of the equation is what's the probability of being killed in a murder gone wrong on the streets of DC? And is that high or is that low? And in, in any, uh, analysis of this, uh, equation where it's like, okay, either there have been, that there, there, there are political murders like this in the United States, or the probability of being gunned down in the middle of the street is, you know, not negligible. Uh, both those are pretty scary. So I, I haven't actually done the numbers out, but the probability of the probability, uh, the, the prior of, you know, being gunned down is what I want to know. And I couldn't find that information. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you can analyze a little bit more, but I should be like the job of the news. Well, and to generalize that a little bit um, in, in conspiracy theories in general, or, or any real belief, that this is only going to be an effective technique if you are willing to adjust your your outlook based on new evidence. Uh, right. One, one thing I've, I've heard posed for uh, design of scientific experiments is experiment such that there is a result which can disprove your your hypothesis, then you have not drawn up a valid hypothesis. Right. There, need, right. there needs to be an outcome that can prove it wrong 
or you need to do a better job designing your experiment. Right, and Bayes' rule as a framework kind of forces you to do that, and it forces you to lay your priors on the table. Um, and so it's, you know, if you're talking about on the debate on, you know, whether there is a God and you put 100% probability on yes, well, then at least you are, you know, formally laying on the table that that's your belief and that you're not willing to change it. Um, whereas when solving like a murder mystery, I don't think uh, a detective is going to come up and put, you know, before seeing information, okay, it's 100% I know what the answer is. You know, it kind of forces well, you... I mean, it's always the butler, but... <laughs> it's, it sort of forces you to put something reasonable in as your priors and then make your hypotheses very specific so that you can get your likelihoods and then you get your uh, posteriors. And what I found in the real world is even though, you know, priors, are, you know, okay, like when I built this giant data system at work, we can do like optimized priors and all that. But if you start with something that's kind of reasonable and your likelihoods are sort of estimated, um, now obviously it's garbage in, garbage out. If it's if you start if you have random numbers, then it's garbage. But if you start off with something kind of reasonable for your priors, even if they're just uninformative priors, just like every hypothesis of the same value, and then you know you calculate your likelihoods within the order of magnitude, you're going to get a reasonable answer. So uh, it's a very it's it's very forgiving. Um, I found. Right, and, and assuming you're you're using the technique correctly, the more information you feed into it, the more it's going to drive you towards a accurate reflection of, of the quote-unquote real world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you might, by looking at your posteriors, you might be like, okay, do I need more data now, or am I ready to make a decision? And you know, you can make your decision. And you know, you find if you have a lot of data the priors don't matter anymore because the whole thing is overwhelmed by the likelihoods. So was there was there an additional point you wanted to make on this or, or I think I think I've covered anything. This? Yeah, was there was there anything that uh, was there anything else you had? Oh, there there was there was one thing. Okay. Um, and, and I, I kind of just touched on that when I was talking about uh, re requirement being the ability to uh, uh, adjust your your understanding based on on new evidence. But um, you you talked before about how frequently people will have different priors, uh, but they'll be looking at the same same data. Uh, that that seems very familiar in the current political landscape. That uh, at least in the cases where we can agree on the facts. Uh, Two, two people or groups of people can come at those facts from, from different priors and draw very different conclusions. Yeah. Okay, so this is kind of a, an, another way of, and, of codifying yeah. what's going on there and why, why we're able to, with the same facts on the ground, have very different beliefs and, and draw very different conclusions from that. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe... not necessarily going to, to help you address that, that schism, but, but it'll, it's, it's a little easier to understand how that's able to happen at all. Well, no, I think it, I think it does help. I think, I think if you have, well, if you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, if you see a disagreement between two people and you're trying to figure out what the core is of that disagreement, then you could use this framework and try to pin it down. Is it the prior that's different? Is it that they have different data that's different? You can sort of, you can sort of use this framework to understand 
the dis disagreements better than you otherwise would. And, um, and, and maybe we'll get to go. Context. There's also the whole question of we may have the same same data, but uh, we may not have place equal weight or equal belief on the data we've been presented with. Oh yeah, and I that, mean, that's, and that's kind that's, of uh, Russian dolls all the way down. Right. That you can put priors on your you you've got probabilities on your prior beliefs that can be different, and then you've got probabilities that are different yeah. on your level of belief and the data you pr presented. And, and, and all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, when you actually, yes, you're right. Maybe we could actually, maybe we could find uh, certain issues where we can actually go through some of the analysis on this show. I think that would be a fun thing to do, particularly if it's an issue that people care about. Uh, might get me some uh, more uh, uh, downloads to this podcast. Who knows? So it sounds like you have some homework in that you need to set up a email address so people can send you. Oh, I do. I do. Say, oh, you do. I well, I believe. Wait, I don't. I don't even remember it right now. I think it's local max radio. Well, you you can you can fix that in post and, uh, <laughs> and and make sure the outro has that information. Yeah, it'll have the intro and the outro, but yes, it's localmaxradio at gmail .com. Um, I was going to call it local max podcast, but local max radio sounds so much better. Um. Yeah, so I think that's it. I think let's. Uh, how, how how do you think that first show went? It, it was a little uh, different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it certainly went longer than I expected. Yeah, um, me too. We're we're right about an hour, I think. Um, I don't I want to. Right, we are, and I don't want to commit to having all of my shows being an hour. So maybe I'll divide it up uh, into two sections, and then people will have to wait after to be continued. I don't know how good of an idea that is. I I'll have to think about that. But um, it, it, it comes with its pros and cons. Yeah, we didn't reach as many roadblocks and mind blocks as I thought we would. I do sometimes. Sometimes it takes me a while to think of a word and whatever. But I think that comes and with my experience with radio in college. That comes with experience when you have more experience behind the microphone. Yeah, there, there was yeah. there was a little fumbling, and and I think I was responsible for at least one awkward silence, uh, a bit of dead air. Yeah, uh, I think it, overall it went pretty smoothly. Yeah, I, I threw a, an unexpected question at you there, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. unexpected questions are good. They're probably better than expected questions, uh, in many ways. So, all right. Well, Thank do you. we want to call that a wrap? Yeah, we'll call it a wrap. Thanks a lot. I think that was a successful uh, episode zero, and uh, we will come up with. Uh, another episode that we could do sometime in the near future. Excellent. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. You got a little post-show analysis uh, at the end there. You could see how this show is being made and how it's coming along. So I'm asking for feedback like that from Aaron and from others uh, as we go along to try to make this show better and try to make it a success. This particular topic, Bayesian inference, is a really tough topic to start with. Um, if I can make this topic be an engaging theme on this show, then I think I'd consider it a leveling up of my podcast host skills. I think that, I think that right now I'm kind of on novice level, and then that would put me up to maybe intermediate level. Um, and, the, and the goal is to get to expert level. But uh, next week we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to come back to this Next week, we're going to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to talk to Google engineer Miriam Ali. 
someone who I have collaborated with many times in the past about internationalization. That's how we get apps and products to work all over the world and in many languages. It's a fascinating topic. It's really difficult. It's kind of like where, um, or it has many facets to it. It's kind of like where uh, technology meets uh, culture and history. So it's, it's fascinating to a lot of people. So come back next week and listen to that. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxClock. Have a great week. Feel the power. She said, I don't care what you say. You're gonna say.